Well, welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley, and my guest is Floyd McClung. Floyd, uh, you got to Amsterdam. You established a ministry there. And how long did you guys live there? 18 years. 18 years. And how did it develop? What did it become from those original two houseboats? We started off in these two houseboats. We would go out on the streets and just share good news with with, uh, backpackers, young Mm -hmm. people on the streets. We got into music. It was mm-hmm. the Jesus People days, so we had mm-hmm. bands come from California, Maranatha. And Wonderful. All those bands came. And then we started Street Theater. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we invited, well, we called our houseboats the Ark. Mm-hmm. And we said we would invite two of every kind. <laughs> <laughs> we had everybody coming in. And then after a while, we thought, okay, we got to have some rules here because people were living pretty crazy lives. Mm-hmm. But, you know, out of that came many, many young people who gave their hearts to Jesus who became leaders, mm-hmm. and they in turn reproduced the ministry in different parts of the world and started planting churches and just carrying on following Jesus. There's something about just getting people out, sharing their faith that is so good. That's what my pastor did with me. I mean, we would go evangelizing every Friday night. And so when we started our first church, I just thought that's what pastors do. You know, they go out evangelizing and I haven't carried it on here in Phoenix. We started our church in Phoenix that way. I mean, I went to parks. I went door to door. I went because when you don't know anybody and and it's a great way to start a ministry, you're just planting seeds for Jesus. And you're not only planting seeds in people's hearts, but you're sowing a DNA of faith and boldness and courage into the believer's hearts. So. And I, my premise is that most believers in America rarely share their faith with a non-believer. And why would I say that? I would say it because I sit next to people on airplanes or wherever all the time. How? When was the last time a stranger started sharing Jesus with you? Yeah. They don't know you're a believer. Yeah. And, and nobody's trying to witness to anybody hardly. Right. Everybody's living inside their own head, and that's really a shame. It is. And because we don't have to be religious to talk about Jesus. Right. You don't have to bang people over the heads. Right. And if people figure out that you're for them, that you're not trying to sell them something or sign them up to something, that you're actually interested in them mm-hmm. and that you want to hear their story and you have a heartfelt story to share, hey, people are wide open. That's right. That's right. I call it blessing evangelism when mm-hmm. you're not out to get something, but you want to just bless people. You want to give something to people. Amen and amen. Well, just so that we don't run out of time, I'm going to fast forward uh, your ministry today based out of Cape Town, South Africa, is called All Nations. Correct. And what do you, what's your vision for All Nations? Our vision is really simple. We want to see Jesus worshipped by all the nations of the earth. And our mission to accomplish that vision is threefold, very simple, to make disciples of people who don't know Jesus, to share the good news of Jesus with them to train local leaders, indigenous leaders, and to start churches that start churches. So we put an emphasis on the simplicity Mm -hmm. of church. So, you know, it's it's great to have a building and have a sound system, have a good education and so on. But where we're working, the part of the world where we are, people often can't afford that. So we base, Mm -hmm. kind of boil church down Mm -hmm. to its kind of most minimal essentials. Mm -hmm. A group of people who love Jesus, who have the Bible, who worship and go out and share their faith. Wonderful. And, you know, 70% of the churches in the world today are made up of people who are black or brown or yellow, if I can say mm-hmm. it that way, who meet in buildings where there's no sound system and they mm-hmm. don't have a paid pastor mm-hmm. and there's no formal education. In other mm-hmm. words, the gospel is going forward 
in the simplest ways possible. And that makes it accessible to people. That makes it easier to do. Yes. Takes the complications out of it. Amen. And that's Amen. what we emphasize. And so you've got people from all nations. In what nations are you guys operating in We're right now? We're operating in 32 countries full-time, another eight or nine countries part-time. Mm-hmm. And our passion is find the unreached peoples, the neglected peoples of the earth that nobody wants to go to or it's too hard to go to them and recruit and train people to go to those people. Mm-hmm. So we focus on North Africa, the Horn of Africa, the Middle East, Central Asia, North India, Southeast Asia, the Far East. All the easy places have been taken, Mark. So we like to go where there's unreached people and neglected people and the poor, the abused of the earth. Now, most Americans say, well, that sounds like a wild adventure, but it also sounds scary. (laughs) How dangerous has it been for the missionaries that you send out? Have you lost them? Um, Or has God shown you that a lot of those fears are just things in our own heads? A lot of the fears on our own heads, but um, the dangers are real, too. Because mm-hmm. if you're going to go to places where the languages are difficult or mm-hmm. the food is extreme or the weather is really harsh, yeah, you're going to face dangers. Mm-hmm. And we try not to kind of pull the wool over people's eyes. In fact, I believe there are lots of people out there who are looking for a real challenge, mm-hmm. who are really willing to put their life on the line. If they can find somebody to walk with them, to mentor them, they can find a kind of tribe of people that will coach them and support them, and they'll go do it. So we have more volunteers than we know what to tra- how to train and where to, where to mobilize. How do people find you, or if how would one of our listeners contact you guys? So they can contact us through the web. Mm-hmm. They can just go to the allnationsfamily.org, and we have a website. That's allnationsfamily, all one word, dot .org. Uh, they can write to us, at, write to just info at all-nations dot info or dot co dot za they can write to me in care mm. of the church here in, in phoenix Wonderful. living streams love to be in touch with anybody who wants to go on a short-term outreach mm-hmm. or a long-term somebody who wants to be involved in say for example helping the syrian refugees that's something we're excited about tell us what your experience was like when you went to the refugee camps i've been to the refugee camps with the syrian refugees three times in the last year and a half uh, the Syrian people are more desperate, more spiritually open than I've ever found amongst Muslim people in the last 49 or 50 years of my life. Wow. Uh, Muslims are killing Muslims. And because of that, it's shaking up the Middle East. You know, there's been a kind of a, an Arab Spring, and that Arab Spring has now turned into civil wars and mm-hmm. conflicts and coups. And so it's like kind of moderate Muslims are getting beat up by extreme Muslims, and so, that's creating a hunger and a question in people's hearts. How, you know, the, for, for a lot of us, we've learned more about Islam in the last, since 9-11 than we ever knew in our life, but our information isn't always accurate. Now, I assume that Mohammed was a warrior and his most committed disciples were fighting soldiers. They're very different than Jesus and the apostles, obviously, um, but are there millions of what we would call moderate uh, Muslims that are peace-loving kind of people, or are those just the apostate Muslims? What's the deal? There's 1.2 billion Muslims in the world. Less than 2% of them are fundamentalists. Really? And less than one-tenth of 1% are radicals. So the radicals are making all the noise. And here's, here's my 
um, opinion. Mm -hmm. My experience is in the last 25 years, and I've had a lot of grassroots experience in all the Muslim hotspots in the world, tens of millions of Muslims have come to Jesus in the last 25 years. More Muslims have come to Jesus in the last 25 years than the previous 1,500 years of Muslim history. Really? It's the greatest revival ever in the history of the church is taking place amongst Muslims. So what's going on now in the kind of the ISIS, Al-Qaeda kind of thing that's happening in the world? It's a spiritual reaction to what God's doing to try and get us, the rest of us normal Christians, off center, Mm -hmm. to get us fearful, to get us um, reacting. So if the enemy can get us to fear Muslims, to hate Muslims, to look at them through political eyes, then he wins a battle and we stop loving Muslims, stop praying for Muslims. And stop sharing Jesus with them. Yeah, exactly. So you don't, you don't share Jesus with people you're afraid of, mm-hmm. that you're thinking are going to come to take over your country. So, uh, yeah, I think we've got to get back to that place where we're praying blessings for Muslims. And we thank God for the millions and millions of Muslims that are coming to Jesus. And I'm not expre- speaking in radio extremities here, mm-hmm. uh, extremes. There's a Muslim, according to a Muslim institute who studies the growth of Christianity amongst is- in Islam, there's a Muslim coming to Jesus in the nation of Indonesia alone every 15 seconds. So are these Muslims in churches or are they not in churches? Uh... They're gathered together around little simple Bible studies, mm-hmm. spiritual families, small groups of people who are starting to read the words of Jesus in the New Testament mm-hmm. because they had a dream, because somebody told them about Jesus, because they were fed in a time of a crisis. Mm-hmm. It's happening among Syrian refugees. It's happening in Islam, in Indonesia. It's happening in northern India. Uh, yeah, there are extremists, but man, Mark, it's wonderful what's happening with God touching Muslims. Amen. So you... Most of our listeners realize, obviously, there's a massive civil war going on in Syria, and uh, Assad's troops are fighting against a couple of different groups, including ISIS. And so millions of people have literally fled the nation, right? Right. right. And they're living where and what's the condition of these camps you're talking about? Well, um, Syria is a nation of about 25 million people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every city has been bombed by either the rebels or Assad's forces. Mm-hmm. Every city is in crisis. Every place, every village is in crisis. There's fighting all over. Half the buildings in the entire country have, have been, been demolished. Wrecked. Over half of the population is now internal refugees. And another third of the country are external refugees. They fled to Turkey, to Lebanon, or to Jordan. So there's literally millions of Syrian refugees now living in camps, living under plastic covering and in fields. I've been there. I'm not Mm -hmm. speaking now in extremes. All over Lebanon, everywhere you look, there are Syrian refugees. In Jordan, they're in the largest refugee camp in the world near the Syrian border, Mm -hmm. a place called Zatahari, right outside of a city called Mafraq. And the nice thing is, the good thing, many young Arab believers are sharing their faith with their Muslim friends because their Muslim friends are asking them, why do you love us? Why do you share food with us? Why Mm -hmm. do you feed us? Why do you help us? So churches, kind of traditional churches, are filled with people, the ones that are still standing, 
And there are many of us, like in our group, All Nations, Mm -hmm. that we're sharing the good news of Jesus all over the Middle East now with Syrian refugees. Amen and amen. My guest is Floyd McClung. He's been an international ministry and um, missionary for 50-some years. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more of Koinonia in just a moment. 